Well, for those of you who are able to be here in person, thank you. It feels good to, to see you again, to have you back. Um, we just figured, I know we haven't got uh, approval from on high uh, Sacramento to, to do this, but uh, I just figured so many of you are crashing our party the past couple weeks uh, without invitation, just showing up like, hey, are you going to kick us all out? No, I'm not going to kick you out. So you all started coming and figured we'd go ahead and open up. So at least you have permission to be here now from us. Um, but anyway, a bunch of us online still, super glad we're able to do this at 1030 and ongoing. Um, but I started this series on how to pray uh, because I thought there's probably a lot that we um, have learned by default, if you will, about prayer. I think a lot of people pray, especially because we're in America and it's what Americans do. Uh, but we probably have some wrong um, understandings about prayer, how to do it and, and what it's for and how to go about it. And the interesting thing to me is that the disciples, after spending a lot of time with Jesus, uh, asked him one thing. They had seen him heal people. They had seen him walk on water. They had seen him multiply loaves and fish. They had seen him heal. They had seen him do all these miracles. And the one thing they asked him was not how to walk on water, was not how to multiply loaves and fish, was not how to heal people. The one thing they asked him to teach them to do was pray. And that amazes me because as Jews, they grew up in this religious system where they had, they had like legalized prayers for everything. They had a prayer, I don't know if you knew this, they had a prayer that they were supposed to pray when they got done using the restroom. And it was, it's a literal like you're supposed to say this, 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 and thank you for the openings in the body. And all that's like, it's like crazy. And so not that they didn't know how to pray, but they must have seen something in Jesus that clued them in that maybe his prayers were different. And the power and the authority of his life, they didn't want to know where that came from. They knew it came from his prayer life. And so they said, teach us how to pray. And in looking at what he taught, now here's the thing. We have in the Bible in Matthew 6, and there's another parallel passage, very similar in Luke. But in Matthew 6, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. If you want to know what the Lord's Prayer is, you go to where he actually prayed, and that's in John 17. So if you want to really know what the Lord's Prayer is, go to John 17. But we call this the Lord's Prayer. But if you think about this prayer, this is a prayer Jesus could have never prayed. He taught his disciples a prayer that he could never have prayed himself. Because if you think about what he said, if you know the prayer, there comes this line where he says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Well, he had no trespass. We believe he was sinless. So he taught his disciples a form, not, a, not, not like the formula, say this, 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 but it was, a, it was a form of prayer that as I look at it, I realize that maybe we've gotten some things wrong, not on purpose. We just kind of have learned how to pray by listening to other people pray. But I think it'd be wise for us to go back to what Jesus taught. And so what we have in Matthew 6, what we call the Lord's Prayer, and we're just walking through the portions of it. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, there are three realities of God that Jesus addresses. And then there's three needs of humanity that he dresses. And so it looks like this. In this manner, Jesus said, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's where we are in the Lord's prayer. 
Notice how Jesus starts his teaching on prayer. He starts with the spiritual. Our Father in heaven, your name's to be hallowed, praised, honored. It's weighty. It means something. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. It's all, it's all spiritual. And then he gets to the physical. Give us his day our daily bread. Uh, and so, so here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like he started, Jesus started with the spiritual and then he got to the physical. Give us this day. He'll say, forgive us our debts, our trespasses, and lead us. So he'll get to the physical. There's nothing wrong with getting the physical needs, but, but, but I, what I noticed is a couple bad habits we've picked up. Jesus got to the physical. We usually start there. In our prayers, we usually start with, God, this is what I need. God, help me. God, do this. God, do that. And we bypass all the spiritual stuff that Jesus taught right up front, typically. See, the bad habit we got into is not that we get to the physical. That bad habit is that we get through too quickly. We start with the physical. Now, in, in, when, when Paul was addressing the church in Philippi, he talked about prayer. And he said, don't be anxious for anything. Don't get worried about nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request to God. By, in prayer, or by prayer and supplication. Now, supplication is not usually a word that many of us use, right? Like, how many of you use the word supplicate this week? Any of you? Like, I'm just supplicating. No. And so, here's what the word means. Supplicate means literally to entreat someone in power for help or a favor. And so, Paul said, when you pray... Get to that point. Make your request to God as if you're entreating someone with power for a favor. You're entreating someone with, with power for help. So he says, get there and realize who you're talking to, the God of all power, and ask him for a favor. That's fine. But do it in the way that Jesus taught it. And first, let's deal with the spiritual. See, one of the bad habits we have in prayer is this. We have a tendency to pray with instruction rather than supplication. We have an, a, a tendency to pray with instruction rather than supplication. So Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. See, we don't mind praying that. That's supplication. We're treating someone with power to do us a favor. Give me today what I need. But our problem is not that we deal in the world of supplication. Our problem is that we live in the world of instruction. So our prayers go kind of like this. God, give me this day my daily bread. Honestly, if you can give me some French bread, that would be fantastic. You understand what I'm saying? Like Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. We say, well, God, if you can give me a little cheddar cheese bread, because that's my favorite, that's what I would want. God, if you can give me some garlic bread. And, and we pray with instruction rather than supplication. The point is this, let God choose what and how much. It's okay to get to those needs. He's the one in power asking for a favor. But at the end of it, let him be the one who chooses what and how much. Now, it's super important. I want you to get this. This is super important about prayer. It's okay. Give us this day our daily bread. And God, I'd really like sourdough. I mean, that's my favorite. And you're the one in power, and I'm asking you for that favor, that you do me that favor by your grace. But then ask God to override your request with his grace. Ask God to override your request with his grace. Why? Because he has so much more in mind for us than what we could ever hope or imagine. 
God, give me today my daily bread. What I need is this, and what I want is this. But you have permission to override my request and give me your favor based on your grace. Do you understand? Do you understand? Let me get something straight right now. The first service showed up as if they forgot how to be in church. Now, all the people at home at our online campuses, they got this down because they've been doing this for two months. I fear y'all forgot how to be in church. And if you continue to look like you look and make me look at you the way you look, I'm going to cancel it all and send y'all back home. So I have to look at those faces while I'm preaching. So at least look like you want to be here right now because you, you, you chose to be here. You didn't stay home. So, so let's kind of do this together. See, here's what happens. We want God to respond to us based on our plans. God wants to respond to us based on his favor. And I wonder how much we've sacrificed because we're so intent to saying, God, I'm going to give you instruction on how I want you to treat me, how I want you to bless me, what I want you to do for me. And God says, if you would just give me authority to respond to you based on my grace, it will be a lot better than your plans. You understand? See, when we pray, there are two kingdoms at odds with each other. The kingdom of our plans and the kingdom of his will. So remember, when you pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Matthew 6, 11, this, this passage teaches us a lot. Give us this day our daily bread. It teaches us, one of the things it teaches us is that everything comes from God. Give, give me what I need. Give us what we need today for today's needs. I realized in that prayer that everything comes from God. Here's the thing. And when we forget that everything comes from God, we think that everything we have comes from our hands. And this was the warning way back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 8. The Bible says this. You may say to yourself after you've amassed a great deal, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Bible says, the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It didn't come from your hands. It might have come from your hands, but the ability of your hands came from my heart, God says. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it reminds us that everything comes from God. See, when we're convinced that everything comes from God's abundance to us through his grace, then we easily and immediately give it away to others. Here's the thing, when it comes from my hands and I'm responsible for what I have, then I hold what I've created for myself in my hands very tightly, right? Because I want to give it up. But when I realize it comes from him and because of his abundance has been poured out through his grace onto me, then I can readily and easily give it because where's it coming from? Not from me, from him. You understand? So give me this day. Let me remember it comes from you. Not only that, but this, 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 give us this, it teaches this, it teaches that I'm dependent upon God. I'm dependent upon God. There's a beautiful passage in Psalm 30. And the writer says this, two things I ask of you, Lord, don't refuse this of me before I die. Give me two things. Real simple. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. I want to live with authenticity. What you see is what you get. I don't want to be fake, and I don't want to present anything that's false. The second thing is this. Give me neither poverty nor what? Like, don't make me real poor, but, but don't make me real rich either. Could you imagine praying that? 
Is that, was that your first prayer this morning? God, please not too much. You know? Why? Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my what? Wow. There it is. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who's God? But this came from me. You know how hard I worked? You know what I did to put myself through school? You know how many hours I put in? You know what I built at my hands? See, if you give me too much, I might disown you as if it came from me and not from you. But he says, but don't give me too little because you give me too little, I'm about to steal something. <laughs> you know, I'll get what I need. It's an amazing prayer. It's praying for daily dependence on God's daily provision. He says, ask. Don't ask for too little. Sometimes he says, your instruction is too little. If you were to rely on my grace for your blessing, you might get more. Don't pray for too little. You're praying to a God of all power. All authority in heaven and earth will be given to him. Don't, pray, don't ask for too little. But at the same time, don't ask for too much. This kind of goes against the American dream. Because the American dream says what? More is better. Bigger is better. Newer is better. This goes against all of that. See, you know how you're conformed? Do you know how to know if you're conformed to the pattern of this world? Matter of fact, Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, how you're, you know how you're conformed to the pattern of this world? You think that more is better. I mean, that's how we live. More is better, newer is better, bigger is better. And Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and renew your perspective on provision. This prayer is amazing. This prayer is amazing. He says, pray for your daily needs, not your year's supply. Pray for your daily needs, not your year's supply. He doesn't say, and give us this year our yearly needs up front so we don't have anything to worry about. That's not the prayer. See, our problem is we'd rather have a year's supply because we think if we had a year's supply up front, we'd have no worries. You understand what I'm saying? Like if I just had enough up front, I wouldn't have anything to worry about. And we've forgotten. Worry is not the result of a lack of supply. Worry is the result of a lack of trust. See, we would rather have a buffer so we can trust in our resources than to have just enough that makes us trust in his provision. See, here's the thing. Here's what I'm going to come to this is that God knows our capacity. He knows our capacity. And he knows that some people have the capacity just to be graced with a bunch. Because even in the bunch that they've been graced with, they still have a heart that says, thank you, almighty God. Because it's at your hand and not my hand that I have this. You've been so gracious to me. And I am forever in your debt. I can never repay it back, Father. I just appreciate the grace that you've bestowed upon me. He knows their capacity. But there's other people that he knows their capacity is this. That if he were to give them that much, they would start to wander off into the land of self-sufficiency. And because he knows our capacity, oftentimes he withholds, gives us just enough to keep us dependent. Just let it sink in. Let it live inside your heart a little bit. In the Exodus, when God's people were leaving Egypt and walking through the wilderness into the promised land, uh, they were grumbling for food. They needed food, and so God gave them 
Did any of you know what God gave him from heaven? Any of you know? Okay, I'm going to tell you this right now. He didn't give him manna. He didn't give him manna. God never called what he gave them from heaven manna. He didn't call it that. He called it bread of heaven. Whenever God talked about what he provided his people in the wilderness, he called it bread bread from heaven, the bread of heaven. You know who called it manna? The people who received it. Do you know why they called it manna? I'm going to tell you. It's a slang for what is this? It is. It's a slang for what is this stuff? Understand what's happening. They grumbled about his provision. They were dissatisfied with his provision. And they said, what you're providing for us, what is this? Have you ever been there? When you got his blood and you're like, seriously, God, this is it? Would you give me more? God never called it manna. He called it the bread of heaven. Matter of fact, Jesus even referenced it of himself as, as the bread of heaven came from God through Moses. I am the bread of heaven. But it was because of this satisfaction and their grumbling and the complaining because they were dissatisfied with God's provision that they said, what is this? That had nothing to do with my notes. I just thought I'd share that with you. But here's the point of it. The manna that God provided, he provided it each day, every day, for that day to keep them dependent as a daily reminder to rely on God, trust in God, to acknowledge Him as their provider because He had told them, my name is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. This prayer is incredible. It teaches us, it gives us day or daily bread. It teaches us contentment. That we learn to be content by relying on God every day for that day. There's a beautiful verse in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, and it says this, But godliness with contentment is great, great gain. We believe that. Every one of us believes this. Everyone else believes those words, but we just believe we should rearrange the words. Here's what we believe. But godliness with great gain is contentment. That's what most people believe. Godliness with great gain is contentment. Being right, doing right with God with great gain, then I'll be content. And the God says, no, 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 you think you got it wrong. Godliness, being right with me, with contentment, is gain. Do you understand? See, it's all this stuff, I think, that we've brought to this element of prayer that has made us just, not being malicious in it, we just kind of get it wrong. This prayer teaches us to be compassionate. Does it say, give me my needs? What's it say? Give us. And that's very common with the Jewish prayers of the time that, that was very communal. It was very community. But it's important to realize, give us this day. It teaches us that there are others involved in this world that we need to be praying for as well. That's not about me. St. Basil, the fourth century, basically said this. He said, none of what we have belongs only to us. The bread that molds in your pantry belongs to the hungry. Think about it. Just let that sink in a little bit. The bread that molds in your pantry, that belongs to somebody else and you let it go rotten. His actual words were, the bread which you do not use is the bread of the hungry. The garment hanging in your wardrobe is the garment of him who is naked. Just see if this hits home. The shoes that you do not wear. 
Anybody have shelves in the closet? Shoes that got dust on them because you don't wear them but once a... St. Basil said the shoes that you don't wear are the shoes of the one who's barefoot. The money that you keep locked away is the money of the poor. The acts of charity that you do not perform are the injustices that you commit. See, if we are convinced of the God of provision, we will willingly share our daily provision with others because God is our provider who lacks nothing. Here's what I'm saying. Get this. The greater the chasm you create by your giving, the greater the response of God in providing. I thought that up myself. That's good right there. I'm just saying. You need to write that down. Take it. All this, all the stuff we're doing is on the is on the app on your phone. You need to be saving this stuff because you're going to forget it and you're going to be like, the the um, the giving is Jesus. I don't know. The answer is Jesus. Like you need to, like the greater chasm you create in your giving. Is the greater response you get from God and His providing. This prayer is amazing. I'm at. I would ask your permission if I cared enough to receive it, but I'm just going to do something whether you want me to or not. So here's what I want to do. I want to go. uh, Can I change your perspective a little bit on daily bread? I just want to change your mind about it a little bit. And to do so, I want to go back in the Old Testament to the book of Numbers. Numbers 13 and Numbers 14. And this is the account of of God's people as they're getting ready to spy out the promised land, Canaan. And, and Moses is going to choose t- 12 guys, one from each tribe of the 12 tribes, and send them into the promised land as spies, a little reconnaissance mission. Uh, and so this is what we know in Numbers 13. Like in, in um, where's Numbers? Numbers 13. Um, it says this. Moses sent them to explore Canaan. He said, go up through the Negev, go to the hill country, see what the land is like, whether the people live there are strong or weak, many or few. That's a good military thing to understand, right? He says, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Is it uh, walled or fortified? What's the soil like? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And so verse 21, they went up and explored the land. Uh, they went up through the Negev. They came to Hebron, uh, and they saw the descendants of Anak there. They lived there. Now, that's important. I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, when they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two men carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. Now, two men carried the cluster of grapes. Now, I don't. it took two guys on, with a pole to carry one cluster. I don't know if the grapes were, like, huge or if just the 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 cluster was so big, but the point is this was an incredibly fertile land with incredible fruit. And so two of them, it took two of them to carry it. That place was called the Valley of School because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So they explored for, 12 guys explored for 40 days. And it was amazing, amazing. And so they came back in verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite assembly at Kadesh in the desert. They reported to them and the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And this is what they said. 
They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Is it? It is awesome. It's beautiful. Here's some of its fruit, and they showed them this big old cluster. And there was 28. They said, but the people who live there are large and powerful, and the cities are fortified, and they're really large. So they're saying that we've got some challenges here. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The, the, the thing about the descendants of Anak, you know who those descendants were? It's Goliath. So you're talking about giants. They're saying there's giants in the land. Goliath was nine plus feet tall. And the boy was athletic. I mean, he was a warrior. And they had a whole, whole land of them. And so they're getting starting to get a little bit afraid. We saw the sins of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the termites, there's cellulite. It's just, it's not good. And the Canaanites live all along the Jordan. And so, they, like they said, it's good, but there's some challenge. It's good, but there's some problems. It's good, but there's some danger. It's good, but there's some giants. And, they, and Caleb and Joshua, they were the two that thought it could be done. They, they could feel the, 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 the tide starting to turn. And so then Caleb says in verse 30, Caleb silenced the people for Moses. He said, we should go up and take care of it right now. We can do this. And so he's trying to rally them. He's going, no, 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 guys, don't get scared. Yeah, there's some challenge, but this is okay. And so they say in verse 31, the men who got up with them said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. So their fear starts taking over, right? And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Okay, that's just stupid. Because if the land devoured those living in it, how are there any living in it? Do you understand what I'm saying? Pay attention to what happens when you get scared. Because you start saying stuff that just doesn't make sense. Like you, 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 you start buying into your own narrative that everybody's saying. All the people there we saw were a great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the sins of Anak. And we seen like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. They had no idea what they looked like to the people in that land. The people in that land didn't see them. They were spying it out. This is just, it's just, and so... Chapter 14, that night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. What happened? Like in Egypt you were slaves. In Egypt you were beat. In Egypt you were killed. You were sheltered in place for a long time in Egypt. You had to get out. And you want to go back? They said, our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? We should choose a leader and go back. And Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly. I mean, it's just falling apart. Why? Because there's challenges, there's difficulties, there's pain, there's giants. And then Joshua and Caleb, they were the ones who went. And they, they started tearing their clothes. They're so upset. And they said to the entire assembly, the land we pass through is the export is exceedingly good. Don't lose sight of what's at stake here. This is incredible. The, if the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. But they said this, and I want you to pay attention. They said, don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people in that land. Why? Because notice what the word of God says. Don't fear the people of that land, for they are our what? They're our bread for our souls. 
that there's giants in the bread. The giants are our bread. But there's difficulty in that. The difficulty we face are our bread. There's challenges there, but the challenges are our bread. The Lord is with us and has departed from them. We need them. We need the fight. We need the challenge. We need the giant because that challenge, that fight, that giant is my bread. So give me this day my daily bread. Think about it. Imagine waking up every day saying, God, give me this day my challenge. Give me this day my difficulty. Give me this day my giant that you have already defeated, but is going to keep me on my knees before you reliant for your provision to beat it. So when Jesus teaches us, give us this day our daily bread, what bread are you praying for? Bread to keep you fat and happy? Or bread to keep you on the tip of the spear that keeps you relying on God for victory. Give me this day my daily bread. See, God wants us to stay so close to Him in fellowship with Him, in communion with Him, dependent upon Him, reliant upon Him, time with Him, so God doesn't need to force us into a land of giants to make us depend on Him. So then when we face the giants in life that we will inevitably face, we aren't coming to God in a panic. How many times has that happened? All of a sudden a giant pops up in front of you, a challenge, a difficulty, and we run to God in a panic. Say, God, you got to stop. you got to help. you got to get me out. God, you got to. Instead, we come to God. That we're already close to. Knowing that he is our provider. That he has already been victorious. And the giant in front of us is just simply the mechanism that he is using in that moment to keep us close to him. It's okay. And the peace of God starts to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, God may lead you, he may lead me to a place of need. So that he can prove that he's our provider i got to be done pretty soon. I don't even know what time it is. Can I share one more story with you? So look here. You know, I'm going I'm to share that one with you. That's a good one right there. You need to understand this. See, without the giants, without the difficulties, without the hardships, we fall into a false sense of sufficiency and ability. We fall into a sense of pride and arrogance that makes us think we don't need God every day. And so it could be, let me just ask you this. I think I know the answer. But if you've got one of those giants, one of those challenges, one of those hardships that you're looking at in life right now, and your whole prayer has been, God, get me out, help me, deliver me, save me, rescue me, step in. Maybe, God says, you need to spend some time with the giant so that you will realize in this moment that I am what you need. Not deliverance, it's me. I'll take care of it, don't worry. But you need me. I'm not asking you right now to take it away, God. I'm asking you to help me rely on you in the midst of it. That's my daily bread. Because unless you give me that giant, unless you give me that challenge, unless you give me that difficulty, I'll start thinking I don't need you every day. I'll start believing I need you in the trials, but not in the normalcy. 
You understand? So here's my other story. Elijah in 1 Kings 17. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. He said, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan. You'll drink from the brook and I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. This is absolutely freaking ridiculous. I mean, just think about it. God led Elijah to a brook that God knew was going to run dry. He knew that a, 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 a drought was coming. Elijah just pronounced it at the word of God, and then he, he led him to a brook that he knew it was going to run dry. And then God has birds fly in with sandwiches two times a day. This is crazy. This ain't normal for a lot of reasons. But get this, if you know the Bible, the Old Testament law, you know in De- Deuteronomy 14 that ravens were unclean birds, that God's people weren't supposed to have any contact with ravens. Here's what I know. God can even use hell to bring heaven to you. There's hope for the government yet. You understand what I'm saying? Like everything can be used at God's hand for His provision for His people. Every morning, wake up and check and see if Romans 8, 28 is still there. Every morning, you need to know. There's some things I think of. There's some things I guess. There's some things I hope for. There's some things I wonder. But there's a few things that I know. And one of the things I know is that God works all things together, even ravens for my good. God ought to free you up. Because God isn't bound to your understanding of his ability to provide. There's no limit to his provision. But understand, in order to have supernatural birds supernaturally provide for you, you've got to be in a position where God has become your only source. You understand? See, everything, say everything. Everything, everything must be seen and treated as a resource, not the source we got to get this right. Your job is not the source of your supply. Your relationship is not the source of your security. we got to get this right. Your savings is not the source of your comfort. Your position is not the source of your identity. I got so concerned with this whole pandemic thing, not just for what was happening in the health of people, but at the words that were being used. Because the language that was used around this pandemic we had government people saying what were, who the essential workers were, and by being an essential worker, it meant they were an essential person. Conversely, understand, not essential workers then, accordingly, were not essential people. That's ridiculous. Sacramento is not the source of our value nor our worth. And so God leads him to this brook. Sometime, I don't know what time it is. I'll be done soon. Relax, you're checking your watch. Knock it off. Listen. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain. The drought started affecting God's man. The downturn was affecting him now. Now he's feeling what everybody's feeling. Notice verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Words are important. And this word from God tells us that the word of the Lord came to him when things dried up. When things ran out. See, we want God's abundance, but oftentimes God's words doesn't come in abundance. During this whole pandemic, sheltered in place, losing what we thought were liberties, all this kind of stuff, 
I hope your ears heard from God. Because his words come when things start drying up. And his words said, go to Zarephath, to the region of Sidon. There I've directed what? Huh? A widow? In a time of a drought? Like Elijah didn't have much, but he got more than her. A widow? See, he went by faith into a place of lack. Here's what I want us to understand. It's only by faith that we can walk with obedience and confidence into places of scarcity. It's only by faith that we can walk with confidence and faith in the place of scarcity. See, if we don't know that God is our provider, we'll go kicking and screaming into places of lack. But if we know and have confidence that God is our provider, then we can walk with faith and confidence and assurance into places of scarcity and need and challenge. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me something that forces me back to you. Are you starting to see the beauty in this form? This is what this prayer looks like. These are my words for this prayer. This is what it starts to look like. I praise you, God. Band, you better come up here. I praise you, God, because you are my shepherd. I praise you, Father, because you are my healer. I praise you, God, because you are my peace. God, I praise you because you are my shepherd. God, I praise you because you are the God who sees me. God, I praise you because you are my provider. May your rule be over my life. May your reign be on my life by the presence of the Holy Spirit upon me. Let your kingdom show up in my life. Give me what I need to meet my needs today. Give me what I need that keeps me close to you so I don't forget that you're who I need. I am yours. And may your way be the way of my life. Do you see how this prayer starts to reshape and reorder our lives? Let me ask you this question. How do you know? How do you know that you believe down in the deepest part of your heart and soul that God and God alone is your provider? I'm going to tell you how you know. Because you act in advance of provision. You start acting in advance of God's provision. Before He provides, before He does anything, before He moves on your behalf, you act in advance of that because then it's in that acting in faith ahead of what He's done that you know that that's your statement that God, I believe you're my provider and I'm going to walk and act in faith before you ever do. Don't wait for His provision to act. That's not walking in faith. When we wait, like a lot of us say, God, I will when you do. And that is exactly contrary to give me this day my daily bread. You're my provider. I'm going to act as if you've already provided. That's faith. Do you understand? So don't wait anymore. God, I'll do when you do. So I believe you've already done. And so I will. And so your prayer becomes provider. 
That's his name. Jehovah Jireh. God, you are my provider. I don't have now. I don't have now. But I will act as if I do. Because I know that it will come. As I act as if you have already provided. Do you understand? This is prayer. And this is how God, Jesus, has said, this is how you interact with the Father. And you interact with Him up front. He is, it doesn't say He will be your provider. He is your provider. And if He is your provider, you can act in advance of His provision. Do you understand, church? And when that happens, you start to see His kingdom come to earth and his will being done right here right now as if he has showed up because guess what he does and our day turns into a glorious day because of who he is father thank you for this day thank you for the chance that we've had to gather together and to be reminded not just of your hand but of your heart you are a good God, and we praise you because of who you are. We have needs, and we're asking that you, as the God of power, act favorably on our behalf to meet our needs in this day for this day. And we give you permission by your grace to respond to us according to your grace. May it be to us as you have said, Lord, keep us close to you. Give us the giants we need that keep us bended knee in front of your face. Amen.